Okay, let's get started. I'm David from Dexy, joined by Harris from the past. We're going to talk about the latest Dow news, maybe some interesting data. Uh, lots of happening this week, lots to talk about. Um, but before we get there, since this is Harris's first time joining as co-host, uh, you want to tell the world a little bit about you, just a couple of words uh, before we get started. Nice to have you here. Yeah, for sure. Nice to be here, uh, David. Thanks for inviting me. So I am uh, Harris from uh, the PAS team. I work in the business uh, development department of the PAS. And for those who are unfamiliar with the project, uh, the PAS is the largest aggregator and DAO database uh, to date, aggregating info for more than 100,000 DAOs. And uh, yeah, uh, individuals and DAOs can use uh, the PAS to live track all sorts of info related to governance, treasury, engagement, and all sorts of stuff. And uh, yeah, that's me. And that's uh, what I do for the past. Nice. Um, since you mentioned the past, I'll, I'll say a little bit about Dexy for those who don't know, though most of us here probably already do. But uh, we had some big news as well. We had our release, the protocol release recently. Uh, which, you know, brought something we've been working on for years to the world, to the open release framework to try and build upon. And also the first product built on top of the protocol had their own release, uh, the Dexy DAO Studio. Uh, as an independent team, they uh, created something really cool that allows people to see the full extent of the protocol, the full power of it. Uh, I love that product uh, on a personal level. I think it's awesome when people build on top of you on top of things we're working on and when you build something as cool as the studio team did, that's pretty special. So congrats to them and that rest of the world. Um, check out it's much, much easier and, and um, interesting, I would say, fair and uh, effective way of building and governing DAOs. I played with it myself. I love it. Recommend to everyone, but enough about us. Let's talk about the world of DAOs. A lot of happening, as I mentioned. Um, the first piece of news that caught my attention was Aave. So Aave being, of course, the biggest, uh, or one of the biggest at least, uh, lenders in DeFi uh, have also recently released their stablecoin, the GHO. Um, they have a whole ghost team, so it, it fits within that. And, um, yeah, they started pretty small, but already the Go reached its mint cap. Um, demand has been that strong, and now they're considering raising the mint cap. So, uh, that kind of brings me to the great question of, you know, why do protocols issue stable cards in the first place? Uh, how to make money with them? What goes into calculating? How much to issue? Is it just free money? Uh, is it an investment vehicle? Is it something good for the treasury? Because obviously stable coin is meant to be pegged to something, right? And in this case, it's a classic pegged to a dollar. It's an algorithmic, so it's not backed by dollar one-to-one, but it is through various assets that is backed by supposed to be as close as possible to the dollar. And ironically, it's actually, last I checked, it was five cents below a dollar. So possible average opportunity. I'm not going to give any financial advice because I don't know enough to do so. Uh, so just an observation. But anyway, Harris, what do you think about Aave and Aave's situation and stablecoins in general? Um... Well, as you said, I have a stablecoin uh, faces uh, some issues. And uh, yeah, from uh, what I've read, and actually uh, stablecoins, in my opinion, are a great way uh, to provide uh, value to a project because, uh, you know, uh, cryptos have uh, their ups and downs. So a stablecoin, in my opinion, is uh, a must use in uh, every project. And also people can, uh, you know, trade uh, in a more safe environment. For example, buy goods uh, and uh, do all sorts of trades in between DAOs and uh, and projects. But uh, yeah, I, uh, to be honest, I didn't have uh, that much time to read about uh, the other situation. So uh, would you like to take the lead and I comment on uh, the situation, uh, you know, later? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What's your opinion uh, first, and I can comment on uh, later. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so, just uh, for reference, Go has 
at this point about 33 and a half million circulating supply, which is approximately $32 million. As I mentioned, it's about four cents right now below dollar, below the peg. Um, just to give some reference, uh, Tether, the, the biggest real estate on USDT issuer, uh, just issued another 4 billion USDT in just the past four weeks alone because of the huge demand for it. Uh, they cite ETF interest as the reason why that interest in stablecoins. So, of course, as everyone in crypto has heard, uh, BlackRock and, and many others are applying for ETFs in Bitcoin and ETH and combination thereof. Uh, and there's now talk about them actually being approved. So um, we've seen a bit of a rally due to that, but also um, there's a lot more activity and stablecoins, as you mentioned, are a good way for people to pay for things and to uh, financially interact in the Web3 world, knowing that the currency they're using is stable relative to a dollar or relative to whatever other fiat currency it's pegged to. So it facilitates a lot more trading, facilitates a lot more speculation. And so I'm guessing, again, not an expert, but I'm guessing that obvious um, quick um, success with Go and with GHO and a possible increase of the mid cap is uh, due to that as well. And then I looked up a little bit into how um, company, how issuers of stablecoins make money with stablecoins. And it's actually pretty much very similar to the way traditional banks do. They give them out as loans. They charge a fee for it. So Ave was paid, I think, 5 or 6% on the loan. They recently gave out to Celsius, I believe. Uh, and uh, then, um, of course, people can stake their, um, their stable coins to get a yield themselves. And you're from, you know, sometimes half a percentage to a couple of percentage points, sometimes with aggregators, even the same 5 or 6 percentage points. Uh, so there's a, an economy being created, right? And since it's money that could be minted sort of out of thin air, kind of like the Federal Reserve Prints money, uh, that could stimulate the supply a lot, but also because if there's a run on this table currency of any sort, it can create insolvency uh, for the issue, right? There are concerns. You can't just uh, mint table coins without limit. There has to be something back in them, and there has to be a mechanism for paying people back if they want to redeem them, right? So that's kind of a limiting factor. So for uh, Aave, obviously, they have a lot of collateral uh, as you know, as the biggest uh, lending platform. But also, of course, they need to be careful to make sure that it can be redeemed in case of a panic, in case of any sort of sell-off. So it's going to be interesting to look at. Um, don't spend too much time on this because we have a lot of other things to talk about. But certainly, in terms of thousand dollar treasuries, it's a very interesting um, conversation because first of all, of course, is DAO, but also um, it's always interesting to look at what um, crypto, what tokens DAO treasuries hold and what they do with them in terms of uh, investing in them, holding them, um, issuing grants with them, etc. And how much of it is native stablecoin, how much of it is uh, non-stablecoin, how much in something else. So uh, this could have implications for Tau Treasury, so something I recommend keep an eye on. Um, let's move on to uh, sort of general news uh, about Layer 2s, if you don't mind. Um, layer 2s, of course, those networks that are faster and cheaper than Ethereum, for example, but are less secure because the calculations happen off-chain and only the final results are put on-chain um, can be put back on the on layer one if the user desires to, right? At this point, there's about 32 L2s, which is a lot, of course, right? Uh, and they are about 13 billion in TVL, which is a high for them for sure, right? And the question is, what happens next, right? What happens if Ethereum uh, drops its gas fees. What if Ethereum gas fees go from dollars and tens of dollars or hundreds of dollars in some cases to, you know, cents? Um, will L2s collapse? Uh, when which will survive? Is there going to be consolidation in L2s? Uh, how do they even direction themselves? Is it just about, you know, optimistic proofs versus your knowledge proofs versus something else, right? So 
very interesting to kind of watch these L2s and see, um, kind of try to think ahead of what's going to happen with them and how are they going to survive long-term. Um, any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, for sure. First of all, uh, in my opinion, layer one is always the most uh, secure solutions in uh, all blockchains. That's uh, where everything happens. That's uh, where safety, better safety measures are. And layer twos, most layer twos are uh, kind of centralized. So uh, my guess is that, uh, as you mentioned, if uh, the Ethereum transaction, uh, if the Ethereum gas uh, price falls a lot, I guess people will choose Ethereum, for example, to transact in a more secure environment, uh, more secure environment than uh, layer twos. But uh, yeah, it's still so early to tell, and uh, I don't think this is going to happen anytime soon. So uh, it's a good thing all those layer two solutions exist right now, because in a future uh, bull market, I definitely don't want to pay $300 uh, for gas uh, again. So layer two solve this uh, scalability issue, solve this uh, cost issue. And yeah, I really like layer twos, to be honest, but I, I kind of worry about security. I love layer twos as well because I can do a lot of stuff without losing all my money on fees. Uh, I can't even say how much I lost on fees in Ethereum, but it's yeah. <laughs> it's more money that I that I make in a year sometimes. So, um, you know, uh, as much as I love Ethereum or you know everything that it is, um, but of course it's interesting to see how it happens and. Uh, of course, Vitalik, this is also in, in big news. It's not exclusively down anyway, but it's something I'm sure everyone's talking about. At Def Connect yesterday, I think, um, uh, Vitalik talked about bringing back Plasma Scale as an alternative to rollups, and it's another kind of wrench thrown into it. Uh, and it's going to be interesting how that plays in with the whole L2, L1 game. Uh, of course, Ethereum is always trying to work ways to reduce the gas fees to increase into speed and while submitting security. So it's going to be interesting to see how that develops, uh, especially in the next couple of years. I think there's going to be a lot of developments there. Um, uh, speaking of treasuries, um, I know before the show, we talked a little bit, you found something interesting about nouns now. Uh, you want to share it with the rest of the, with the audience. I think that it's been interesting discussion. Yeah, for sure. So, um, like nine months ago, uh, Nunsdao, uh, locked around, uh, 9,000 uh, Ethereum in Lido staked actually 9,000 Ethereum, uh, in Lido. This was, uh, not such a big percentage for, uh, Nunsdao, more like, uh, 15 to 20% of their treasury. And, uh, since then Nunsdao kept earning, uh, you know, returns for uh, staking in Lido. Uh, the Lido returns are, I think, 4.5% uh, a year for Ethereum. And recently, Nunsdao uh, was facing, as, you, as most of you know, Nunsdao went uh, under a fork the past couple months. So half of the treasury, even more actually, is gone. And uh, so the community decided to unstake half of their uh, STETH their uh, Lido staked Ethereum. And just like that, they generated like uh, uh, 1,000 Ethereum from uh, staking. And they also got back uh, 5,000 Ethereum in the treasury to support uh, initiatives. In my opinion, this is a, a cool thing to do, you know, to diversify how you handle your treasury, stake some, uh, have some uh, Ethereum liquid, maybe switch to some stable coins and uh, generate passive income, especially for huge, uh, for big treasuries like uh, Nunsdao, who have around, uh, I think it's $20 million right now in value. Do you see Nunsdao kind of going the um, arbitrary model and uh, funding, or Uniswap model really, and funding various creative projects uh, in early stages that might generate um, profits for them later on, you know, 
actually getting a stake in them uh, rather than just giving out grants? Or you think it's going to be mostly separated in terms of grants going to support new projects and staking whether leaders or else um, being used to bolster the treasury? Well, I think both, because uh, Nunsdao still has uh, 5,000 uh, ETH staked in Lido and uh, also has like uh, 10,000 ETH uh, to support initiatives. If you check out the Nunsdao, there are lots of proposals coming up every day and uh, lots of them pass. So my guess is that this is going to keep happening, you know, uh, people uh, propose, take funds to do all sorts of cool stuff, and then also at the same time generate income for the DAO via NF uh, via NFT sales, uh, which they split with the DAO, and uh, all sorts of cool stuff like physical products, uh, products they build and uh, generate income for the DAO. Yeah, I think it's a hybrid. I think that's the way Noon's DAO will move, both staking and uh, supporting projects. Awesome. Um, another piece I just wanted to talk about. Uh, let me just find it. It's actually pretty interesting in in how it's developing. So, um, in Fura, uh, if you ever used MetaMask, <laughs> Coinbase, uh, Uniswap, you know all of the top really protocols, right? Um, you probably using you're actually definitely using Fura without even knowing it, and it's a big and powerful suite of centralized suite of tools that's trying to get decentralized right now. Um, that's kind of the big push they're making, and of course for DAOs it can be very interesting because in Fura as a DAO could be a very interesting case for decentralization. Of course, there's competitors who are already more centralized, uh, decentralized. I mean, and that's why when I saw this piece of news, I found it a little interesting. And kind of head scratching to be honest. Um, that in their drive to decentralize, Infura partnered with leading Web2 tech giants. We're talking big, really big Microsoft, Tencent, etc. Right? So, um, on the one hand, I see uh, Infura, you know, bringing in the players who have the infrastructure to help it decentralize and to help it have multiple sources of service providers and backbones, really services, which of course take up a lot of uh, resources. Um, but on the other hand, um, I am a bit worried without knowing too much about it, uh, whether it's a bit of a step back in terms of the sort of big dinosaurs of Web2 leading the supposed charge into Web3 and how that's going to play out rather than bringing in smaller, newer Web3 players, uh, you know, thousands of them potentially, rather than, you know, two, three, five, ten um, big ones that have already dominated the market for the past 20, 30 years anywhere. Uh, any thoughts about that? Do you think it's just uh, me being paranoid or, um, or what? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm not going to talk about Infura specifically, but I'm going to talk about what you mentioned about uh, big players coming to Web3. I too don't want to see that. We have already experienced Web2, how Web2 operates, how centralized companies operate. And in my opinion, uh, if we want to really build a decentralized uh, economy, the way to go is by supporting uh, core Web3 projects, open source projects, decentralized projects, and uh, not support uh, tech giants like uh, Microsoft, Tencent, and all those dudes that are all those companies that are joining uh, Web3 to get a piece of this pie too. You know, that's my take on this: to support core Web3 projects, open source projects, and you know, don't support the same people who destroyed uh, the internet, who are, exp who are exploiting our data, who are doing all sorts of uh, evil, if I can say this. Yeah, totally. I, I this is my personal opinion, not uh, to be reflective of any official policy or anything. But um, and I, I know Infura from what everything I've seen is trying to do cool stuff, and and 
there's definitely more to it that I understand. So I don't want to throw shade on Infura specifically, but every time I do see big companies like Microsoft, Google, Amazon, you know, you name it, um, getting into, and same with big hedge funds, right? And then big, um, financial institutions, where two financial institutions, there's always this kind of fear of is crypto getting co-opted by the old institutions and maybe it's it's a good thing for adoption maybe it's a necessary middle step we need to take maybe it's evil we need to live with i don't have the answer to that um but as sort of a champion of a new way to organize a new way to interact where uh, power and influence is distributed and is in the hands of really the small people right like us like actual um Anybody who wants to create something cool creates it and respects the transparency, respects the privacy, respects um, the sort of everyone wins kind of approach rather than trying to capitalize and um, extract as much value from from each user as possible. Um, it is a bit concerning seeing big names involved. So we'll see how it's going to develop. Um, I'm sure it's inevitable that they're coming in. Um, but at the same time, I do hope that more and more small players will emerge and, and be embraced and be part of the ecosystem and, and really the backbone of the ecosystem. Yeah, for sure, I agree. And that's kind of a good segue to, um, I think the coolest piece of news this week. Um, there are two programs running right now with grants for cool new projects, which is exactly alongside what we're talking about here. Um, there's Gitcoin one and there's Arbitrum one. Um, Ayers, um, do you want to highlight maybe a few of the Arbitrum projects, uh, Arbitrum grants um, that are now um, trying to get, raise funds through their uh, grants process that you found interesting? And then I'll do the same with Gitcoin. Uh, want to start so I can open my links? Real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do have my links open. Uh, let's just find where I have multiple windows. Okay. So I picked three because it'd be too much hard to pick too many. But before I get into them, let me just real quickly explain how Gitcoin grants work. This is round 19. It's been going on for years, possibly since 2017, since around the time I entered crypto. And I've been loving it every ever since then. And uh, they, they're changing. Uh, it used to be just kind of free for all. Uh, you search, there's hundreds and not thousands of grants. And it was a lot of fun, but uh, but I do understand why they wanted to bring in a bit of structure. So there's basically three types of grants uh, in this round, three sort of branches, if you will. The first one is called program rounds, and those are the ones actually run by Gitcoin, right? And they're the ones most scrutinized, um, and they're the ones that are directly managed and overseen by the grants program. Um, by the team, of course, the grants program. And there's three categories, uh, Web3 Community and Education, Web3 Open Source Software, and, and Ethereum Infrastructure. So those are kind of like the core, core, most hands-on one. Then there's the community rounds, which have been vetted by Gitcoin, um, which um, have to obviously meet certain criteria to be, to be selected. So they pass the selection, but they're not run by Gitcoin, they're run by the teams that run, right? Uh, and the third one, which is the least hands-on, are these independent rounds that use the grant stack that Gitcoin developed so that more projects could, um, you know, raise grants, would apply for grants and could try to get funded uh, independently without having to pass through the, the process of selection, right? So, of course, there's high risk there because haven't been vetted, uh, but they are using the framework that uh, Gitcoin develops, so there's some structure to that. There's some guidance, and so there's um, definitely reason to look at them closely as well and to consider donating because there's still a lot of interesting projects there. So I picked a few projects that I liked, uh, a couple of community rounds and one from the program round, uh, just to be quick. So uh, one of them uh, is called the Mechanism Institute, and what I like is that it's focused on um, building positive sum outcomes. And positive sum outcomes in crypto is a 
huge topic and one that I am very passionate about myself. It's something that from the point of economics for thousands of years should have been and has been pretty much impossible. And it's something that the blockchain world, the DeFi world, the crypto world, as you will, wants to break, right? It's, it, it's your, it's your game of thrones, and this is the wheel that we're trying to break. And the idea, of course, is that, you know, most interactions are zero sum or something close to zero sum. I win, you lose, you know, I take advantage, you, you miss out. Um, even if it's an equal exchange with both of us getting value, still one of us perceives that they will get more value than a lot of times there's some sucker at the end or, or someone getting uh, to lose their money and to be upset about it, right? And the positive sum outcomes try to change that to really create outcomes that immediately and in the long term create the benefit and potential positive sum benefit to everyone involved. So it's not win-win, it's beyond win-win. And I don't want to dive too deep into it because, you know, we do have our time limits here, but very interesting thing to look at, very interesting topic to discuss. Uh, so I personally like it just to give you a sample of an early positive sum experiment that I participated in as a consumer. Uh, there was, um, there's of course the Meta Cartel and they had this Meta factory where they had basically an online shop for merch, t-shirts, hats, you know, that kind of stuff from various crypto projects that uh, when sold, the seller would get the money for it minus the fee that the protocol got, that the store got. The buyer would get the product plus the native token of the factory of the store called robot. And then the seller would also get some of that robot as well. So the seller would get both the money and the token that potentially be worth more. The buyer got the merch and potentially and the token that was potentially worth more than they spend on it. And then the store got uh, the fee from the sale plus the potential growth of the token, which can benefit the treasury as well. So it's a very interesting positive sum uh, experiment where there's some limitations, very real limitations, of course, especially when the token is something drops. Um, but it's interesting to see those kind of discussions, those kind of um, conversations happening and and projects for connect. So I really like that project. Um, any comment on that one before I move on to the others? Yes. Oh, no, go on, go on. Okay. Um, and again, just something that I started it found kind of cool. Here's another one. This is actually one of the program ones curated by um, by Gitcoin. It's called, uh, I love the name. Uh, this alone was a good reason to, to select this. It's called Salmon Needs a Job. Uh, I don't know Salmon. <laughs> I, I don't know why he needs a job. But uh, apparently it's a citizen journalist, right? Uh wants to explore and is exploring Web3 and documenting and creating content. Uh, he actually did a series on nouns, speaking of that, nouns. And I like the idea, as a content creator myself, I love the idea of grants being not just for protocols, not just for code, right? But for people who are creating content, for people who are contributing. Uh, I think content is very important. I think content is something that should not be just thrown to chat GPT. I think um, content creators are just as much part of the system as anyone else. Of course, I'm biased towards that, but still. And I think it's beautiful that content creators can literally ask for grants to create content that the whole community benefits from. So um, kudos to Simon. I hope he, he gets a job, he gets funding. Uh, I love that. And then the last one I want to talk about, something that I also relate to, it's called solar punk nomads and it's under the climate um topic of community grants they ha they do divide them into different sections to make it easier to find interest and i like that because i'm a nomad myself or at least i have been till the past year or so and the solar nomads are kind of this club of people who travel they basically rig up bikes with solar panels they, they have these like cool uh e-bikes with you know, spares with bags with all, everything they need to stay connected to the internet and to be eco-friendly and to kind of create this network. And they're trying to create a bigger network. Probably they're trying to really build a global community. And just to think about a community of nomads who are living closer to the earth, who are more eco-friendly, more eco-conscious, 
who are still like highly connected to the internet and working and living in a digital world as well. I think that is a very good sign for the future, uh, for our planet and for our industry. So uh, on the personal, I think it's very cool. And I, I think I'm going to give them some money. It sounds very, very cool what they're doing. So that's my three projects of choice. Um, what are your tabs telling you? Which ones do you pick? I picked two. Uh, the first one is under uh, the governance research round. And uh, it's called Mirror. It's uh, a really cool platform uh, developed for residential uh, communities. So they can, uh, so this platform helps residential uh, communities to manage their uh, labor contributions, uh, behaviors, and funds. And uh, as far as I can read in uh, the proposal, they have already tested it uh, in a nine-person house. It works really well. It uh, doesn't require you to have uh, a lot of knowledge in uh, blockchain, crypto, wallets, and all those stuff. Uh, to participate uh, in the app and to participate in a community like that and uh, allows residents, you know, to engage in governance and uh, manage their resources together. So it's uh, a really cool and innovative app for uh, communities. I need to check out more about how it works, but uh, it sounds promising. And it's uh, developed uh, by uh, Zaratan. I'm not familiar with... Uh, the company or the project, but yeah, I wanted to mention it. So that's the first one, an app for uh, communities, you know, to share funds and make decisions together. And uh, a second one is uh, from Arbitrum Citizens Shredder Founding Ground. So it's the project. Actually, it's uh, one citizen, as the name suggested, suggests it. Is it just me or do we lose hers? Eris, are you there? Mm. I think we might have lost us. All right. Um, let me just, while he's getting back here, I'll mention, I totally forgot to mention something really important for the Gitcoin grants and, and other grants. So the whole um, special thing about how it works is that they're matching grants, right? That it's non-linear quadratic funding grants where... Um, not just about how much money a single person donates, it's actually about how many people donate. And the more people donate to a project, the more the matching contribution will be. And the matching contribution uh, used to come just from Gitcoin, but now also comes from um, various L2s that are participating. So Arbitrum, Optimism are also adding their own matching reward pools which makes it so powerful, right? Because every dollar you spend, every cent you spend actually gives so much more to those projects. And it really helps um, kind of give power to the people, right? Because rather than relying on one millionaire uh, to support a project, you could literally have a million people donate a dollar or even a few cents and get the project funded with a lot more money than they normally would get. So. That's why I love Gitcoin grants so much as well. I love grant programs like that. Um, anyway, Harris, I think you're back, right? So I'm back to you. Yeah, sorry for this. My internet sucks. <laughs> uh, where did I cut off? I didn't understand. 
Uh, you cut off. So we got the mirror, but the second one you cut off fairly hard. Oh yeah. Uh, let me find the project. Uh, yeah, there it is. It's uh, a project from uh, Arbitrum Citizens Shredder Founding Round. For uh, the submission is from Pink Decade, and uh, this project's goal is uh, to onboard African communities to Arbitrum DAO and uh, also educate them about how Arbitrum DAO works, how they can utilize Arbitrum DAO to elevate uh, their local communities and, you know, create a sustainable and uh, nice environment for African citizens so they can, you know, ask uh, fundings from uh, Gitcoin grants, from Arbitrum DAO and... Uh, do stuff that uh, need to be done in their communities. Nice. Actually, this is a perfect segue into the next section, or uh, the last section of our show today, which is, of course, proposals, right? So, um, DAOs wouldn't be DAOs if they didn't have proposals that govern DAOs and, and make changes and create progress and help DAOs grow. Uh, it's, it's really the lifeblood of, of DAOs. And so, it's interesting to see what kind of proposals are out there to see what we can learn from that, um, what we can um, observe. And um, I noticed a couple of them that are interesting. First one actually is Arbitrum, which is why it's such a good connection. So I noticed the Arbitrum has a proposal for gas fee rebates and other stimulation, other stimulating methods for trading volume on the Rage Trade uh, platform. Now, Rage Trade is an Arbitrum native. Perpetuals aggregator, right? Perps aggregator. Uh, so it's not, the money is not for Arbitrum itself. It's for a project that built on top of Arbitrum, which is actually very cool and very important because um, these L2s are not just um, something on top of Ethereum to quickly pass transactions through, right? And cheaply pass transactions through. They're actually a whole ecosystem. That's kind of part of the answer to my earlier question of. How they differentiate themselves, and each one is trying to create a very strong ecosystem to bring developers, to bring projects into it, and to create a bustling economy. Um, really, a whole ecosystem of ecosystem of projects working together, creating something cool. So, Rage Trade is one of those projects, and Arbitrum has a proposal to give them, or really to stimulate them, with 1.5 million ARP tokens, uh, which at this point is almost. $2 million less it's 1.7 maybe um and the idea is to uh create obviously more demand for arb and create more demand for arbitrum as a platform as an ecosystem for trading perpetuals which is a very popular way of speculating on the price of crypto right with some people saying that the bull run is started or is coming uh, is, is a big part of the activity that might be happening in crypto. So from that perspective, it makes sense as well for Arbitrum to make sure that it has a strong component uh, for trading, for perpetual trading. Um, any thoughts on that? Um, nope, I don't think I have... Uh, I'm not so familiar with Arbitrum ecosystem, so I don't want to speak... Uh about this. I'm not that knowledgeable. Okay, fair enough. The only other proposal I have is something different. Um, actually has to do with our discussion about grants uh, as well, but this case is the reverse in a way. So the central end, which as you know, is one of the three or four big um, worlds in, in the metaverse, right? Uh, virtual worlds. Um, they and their token, of course, is mana, and they are considering scaling back how much mana they're dedicating for grants funding. Because right now, uh, they have this mana stake, and they have about 70% of it dedicated to grants, and they're thinking that maybe it's too much, maybe more of it should be just staked for, for the sake of the treasury, uh, should, be, you know, should be put uh, in place to use later, uh, and that it's it's really excessive to fund so many grants at this point. So it's interesting to see how, while the down market works, while the DeFi market um, 
growth as well as the down market. Um, while some, uh, like Arbitrum, for example, are expanding their grants, while of course Gitcoin and Arbitrum, for that matter, are doing entire grant programs, there are other big players, you know, long-term big players in the DAO world, like Decentraland, who are considering that maybe there is a need to pull back a bit. And it's not necessarily an indication of the market being, you know, one way or another, going one way or another, but it's an interesting um, point in terms of how nuanced the market and how big, of course, the market is and how it's important to see um, the interest of each particular DAO, right? Like there's no solution for each DAO to do the same thing at the same time. So for one, it might be better to do more grants at this point. For one, it might be better to do fewer grants. For one, it might be better to pull money back from Lido, for example, to keep more in the, in, in the treasury or to keep grants. For another, it might be more useful to stake more. So, you know, with the protocol with Dexy, of course, being focused on providing very flexible solutions, right? And providing a lot of different options for DAOs to uh, really fine tune every aspect of governance. I think it's very important uh, for us to, to acknowledge and pay attention to how different DAOs are doing different things to achieve different goals. And there's no contradiction in terms of the market direction necessarily. It's just the world is complex. The DAO world, of course, is complex as well. And so it's interesting to see uh, all the different directions that people are and DAOs are moving in and follow that. And of course, we'll see next week where other proposals are out there. But I think it's interesting that Decentraland is um, he's not rushing it into grants funding and scaling it back. Not ending it by any means, but thinking about its treasury health, thinking about all of its different short-term and long-term interests and being uh, careful about it. Yeah, I agree with you, David. Uh, in my opinion, sustainability is uh, the number one priority in uh, DAOs right now, even if uh, this means that you have to reduce your grants program or, you know, sometimes we have to take some uh, hard uh, choices for sustainability. But uh, yeah, this is not necessarily bad. I mean, we're so early into into uh, blockchain tech, into crypto, into metaverse for uh, as far as the central land. So, uh, so many cool ideas are going to come in the future. The DAO needs to have some funding. So if uh, it makes sense to reduce their funds, I, you know, I agree with them. That's all. Yeah, I actually think it's a good thing because when everybody rushes to do something and doing the same thing, I get a little suspicious. Like, is this hype? Is this a bubble? This is, you know, herd mentality. What's going on, right? But when you see all these different moves and all these different directions and all of it being put in front of the actual membership of the DAO and discussed and deliberated and debated and voted on, of course, I think that makes for a much more thoughtful, possibly even meritocratic um, approach to governance. And I think it's a, it's a sign of, of health in the DAO space, personally. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and in the end, the community will decide what will happen if they reduce the grants or not. And each community has their own values. Uh, and, you know, it's their choice. Yeah, no, absolutely, right? The, Are we that, you know? <laughs> he decides, and, and it's good that he decides. So, yeah, otherwise, it's going to be Microsoft designing or Tencent or Google, et cetera. Exactly. You know, uh, which worked for a while, but we're trying to create something new. So um, that's all I have for today. Do you have anything else? Um, as far as topics go, nope. Yeah. Some uh, cool uh, data we can check out. Oh, yeah, if you've got any cool data, please share. Sure. Yeah, uh, I have some cool data on uh, new DAOs, on treasury changes, and uh, in uh, proposal voting. So let's start uh, with uh, new DAOs. So during last week, uh, we witnessed a 0.73% increase in uh, the number of new DAOs. More than 900 DAOs uh, joined the space, most of them coming from Snapshot then Aragon and DexDAO. And if you want numbers, 
$858 came from Snapshot, $40 from Aragon, and $36 from XDAO. Now, about uh, treasury changes, uh, you know, the market uh, pumped a little bit, so we've noticed an overall increase in uh, DAO treasury values. ETH is, tra is trading over uh, $2,000, BTC over $37,000, uh, so native tokens also pumped a little bit. This means more uh, value in, uh, in uh, DAO's treasury. And the top five gainers for this week are uh, Pangolin DAO with a huge 354% increase in their native token. Uh, then uh, followed by Research Hub and uh, Cryptex DAO who experienced 200% uh, and 110% uh, surge in their native tokens. And then we have Curved Shampoo DAO with uh, a 74.75% uh, increase thanks to substantial inflow of funds. And last but not least, DYDX DAO with a 61.6 increase uh, credited to their uh, native token again. Now, uh, I also have a list uh, with the five losers, if you wanna, the top five losers, if you wanna discuss about it. Okay, sure, let's hear the losers. <laughs> it's uh, Jade Protocol at the first place, minus 87.21%. Uh, uh, after a large outflow of funds, same for Eridao, but uh, minus 44%. Then it's uh, Tempus DAO, uh, Tempus Temp price, their native token price declined by 31%. And uh, same for Unlock and Sismo DAO, their uh, token uh, prices, their native token prices declined by 15% uh, each. And now about governance. We have some interesting uh, stats here, some data. Uh, around 15,000 uh, new voters joined the space and uh, 1,500 new proposals were submitted to DAOs this, this week. Now, uh, as far as uh, DeFi DAOs, the proposal with the biggest participation was in Stargate DAO. The proposal was uh, to win down the MAI pools with... Uh, 343 uh oh my god sorry i'm looking <laughs> i'm looking at the wrong uh at the wrong uh data draft sorry yeah it's the wind down mai proposal from stargate with 3345 uh, votes then it's ether score uh DAO proposal the batch curation proposal with uh, 38,377 votes and voters. And uh, then it's uh, the Arbitrums DAO found the gas rebate uh, proposal we discussed earlier with uh, 31,900 voters. And uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty much it for uh, the proposals this week. Lots of votes, lots of new voters, uh, and uh, lots of new proposals. Yeah, Stargate Finance continues to amaze with their activity. They have certainly one of the most active follower bases and user bases uh, in recent memory. Uh, I would, week after week, I see them being very active. Good for them. Yeah. I and mean, of course, yeah. they have 10 times, 10 times more votes than uh, the second DAO in terms of uh, participation. It's huge. Absolutely, yeah. And also, of course, to clarify that, you know, we only, we only joke about losers, right? Just because uh, DAO's treasury is down or TVL is down, it's it's only one of the indicators, uh, many indicators of DAO health. Uh, so, of course, you know, don't be don't rush to make judgments about DAOs based on the numbers alone, especially the top-line numbers. Look deeper, look at what they're working on, go to their on-chain and auction voting and discussions and really dive into it, right? Uh, I know it's it's a little difficult when uh, it's all over different platforms when they vote on one thing, when they discuss another platform, then, and there's like his proposal is a third platform. Uh, of course, you know, with Dexy, we're trying to make it all one platform so it's a lot easier, but still, you know, DAOs are where they are, so meet them where they are. And, um, you know, 
see what they're up to uh, from Arbitrum to Stargate to many others. Now, of course, there's lots of interesting DAOs, small and big, and something's happening every week. Lots to explore. Yeah, for sure. We're just looking at uh, data here. Data doesn't mean a decrease in price or anything. Doesn't mean that the DAO is not working hard or it's a scam or anything like that. It's just data. Yeah, but it's definitely good to, to have the data and, and, to, and to talk about it. And definitely appreciate that. I uh, guess it's a bit of an insight of what's going on in the market. And then, but DAOs in general, really appreciate that. And it done. All right, so I think we're done for today with all the things we wanted to talk about. As you've heard, there's always something happening, and this week's been pretty busy. Uh, Arbitrum, of course, and being busy. Gitcoin, everyone who um, has any desire whatsoever to donate to cool projects, this is your chance. Um, this show is not about investment advice or drop hunting in any way, but uh, from personal experience, I can tell you that um, contributing to Gitcoin grants and other grants sometimes has been related to uh, various projects qualifying you for airdrops. Again, not in any way financial advice, um, but for whatever reason uh, that motivates you to donate, go donate. Uh, there are really cool projects out there, and uh, and Gitcoin is has been at it since you know most of us are not even in crypto yet. So just huge. Congrats and um, and cheers to Gitcoin to Arbitrum for their own grants program and anyone else running grants programs. I think it's a very cool thing. Yeah, and uh, also uh, if anyone wants to apply for a Gitcoin or Arbitrum Arbitrum grant, applications are open until November nineteenth. So you still have three days for anyone listening and wants to participate. Oh, there you go. So you better hurry. Uh, those days will slide by fast. Uh, just like today's uh, live space did. So thank you to Terrace. Thank you to everyone who came to listen. See you guys next week. Uh, we'll share whatever happens with the DAO world, uh, which we'll find out ourselves in a week. Thanks for hosting me, Dave. And thanks for everyone who attended and listened. Bye-bye.